excited at what God is doing around here, just as I'm hearing story after story of God showing up in might and power from, you know, someone being healed over communion a couple weeks ago to someone during the week coming to me and saying, uh, the Lord started talking to me and it's like they've gone through a whole other salvation experience because they recognize it wasn't about their life, it was about his life, to uh, a parent calling me and telling me that uh, Jesus showed up uh, visibly to their four-year-old daughter uh, and uh, made himself known that it was okay that she could approach him and talk to him in prayer. And as they prayed, get this, a four-year-old begins to pray for the nations. And then I hear this morning that uh, as the Kai Alpha team was on there, he's working uh, today, and we just need to step in. If, you, this is a, if you've not downloaded the app, I encourage you to do that. I, I'm going to reference, and I'm not going to even give the references, but I'm going to be weaving different scriptures throughout the New Testament uh, today. And in the app, uh, under the notes at the bottom, are all the, uh, the verses that I will have referenced that you can quickly uh, go to, you can... Uh, Go back later in the week. You can actually take the uh, the sermon notes and the email to yourself if you want to spend some time studying it over uh, during the week. As we are, are continuing in this uh, series called Align, I think it's important that we have a positionally correct life. And so before I became a follower of Jesus, I found myself, first of all, I wasn't in a positionally correct life then, but even more so as I was uh, getting ready to go stand before a judge. I mean, you got quiet here really quick. Pages stopped turning, all that stuff. Uh, yes, your pastor has a criminal past. But before I tell you the story, I just want to tell you that when I was getting ready to go into the courtroom and had spoken with my lawyer, I was as anxious as any time in my life. Because what was going to transpire over the next few minutes, I had zero control of. I had, through my actions, set in a series of events that led me to have to stand before this judge who I didn't know from Adam, didn't know if he was a nice guy, bad guy, if he was lenient on criminals early in their criminal life, or if he was hard on criminals early in their criminal life. And so my stress level was really high. And what had happened was me and a friend were out driving one afternoon and just being, you know, we were a little more than teenagers. Probably it was probably 20 years old at the time. And we were in downtown Everett, Washington, in the middle of the business district. And I get pulled over. And I have no idea why I'm getting pulled over. And as I wait on the side of the, the road for the police officer to come up. I'm trying to figure out what exactly it is that I've done. And he comes up and I roll my window down and he asked me if I know what I did. I had no idea. And he said that I forced somebody who was getting ready to cross a crosswalk back on the sidewalk, thus not allowing them to have the right of way. Well, you, you know me, I'm Dutch, and so I've never seen a good opportunity for a good argument. And so I start arguing with the police officer that he's the one in error and not me. Well, that didn't sway him any. He goes back to his car, and as I'm watching the lights behind me, I'm thinking, you know, this guy just has got it so wrong. I gotta give it one more try when he comes. So he comes up and he's got that, that metal book that uh, he holds all of his tickets in and 
mine's on top with a little uh, clip there, and he hands it to me and hands me the pen, and I'm looking at that, and I start to argue with him again. And all of a sudden, I just recognize I'm getting nowhere. And so I just said these words, oh, forget it, which in the words themselves really have no impact, but I said it with my hands. I said, oh, forget it. And I didn't realize that his head had moved down inside my window. And the back of my hand went into his nose. Now, since I had endured myself so well to the cop already, he was more than happy to pull my arm out the window and throw me up on the back of the car. And I don't even know how he did it. It was like in two seconds, there were two other police cars there because, you know, there's this criminal list assaulting a police officer. And I found myself in a period of time now standing before the judge, what's going to take place here? Because, you know, I didn't necessarily want to go through life with an assault of a police officer on my record. I don't have that on my record, by the way. I pleaded a simple assault. But I tell you the story because I was here and the judge was there. And our confession today has everything to do with the judge. And when you have a positionally correct life, you're not going to see yourself as you being here and the judge being there. Now the confession is this. Now we have moved on to the Jesus portion. I believe Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father from whence he shall come to judge the living, say that word living, and the dead. Say the word dead. So there's a, there's, a, there's a judgment of the living and a judgment of the dead. In Revelation chapter 20 and verse 12 says this, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Now this is the scripture that uh, I'm sure that when you hear the confession, if, you've, if you're any kind of a, a, a Bible study person, that your mind runs to. This is, this is the clearest picture of the judgment of the dead. But in this, there are a number of things that I want you to see. One, that there are a number of books. It talks about books in the plural sense, and then one book. The singular book, Book of Life. And the books are books that have been written based on the actions, based on the, the things that were done while a person was alive. So uh, what we're going to do today, we're going we're to focus on the judgment, but more than focusing on the judgment. If you're going to live a positionally correct life, if you're going to live in such a way that you don't see yourself here Standing before the judge, whether you are living, if you're living, you don't have to do that, but you still may. But certainly if you're dead, we want you to move to living so you ultimately don't have to look that way. 
But what you'll find is the judge is ultimately on your side. You will already know the outcome of the judgment if you know the judge. When you know the judge, then ultimately you are aligned with the judge. And so what I want to do is I want to spend probably more time on the judge than the judgment. The judge, first and foremost, has a right to be judge. He has a right more than anyone in history. He has an inherent right, he has an earned right, and he has an enacted right. The inherent right is simply the fact that he was anointed and appointed as judge before the foundation of the world. Because we serve a God who knows all time, all the time at one time. We serve a God that understands that we would be sitting in this very place, hearing this very message, way back in eternity past. He knew it. So Jesus Christ was appointed and anointed to be judge. In John chapter 9, it says, for Jesus is speaking, he says, for judgment I came into this world. That's why he came. He came to judge. Now, when he was walking the earth, he wasn't judging like he's going to judge. But it has everything to do with his right. He couldn't be anointed and appointed judge in all the loving aspect of the Father unless he first came to this earth. And because he came to this earth, he earned the right to be judged because he became the second Adam. The first Adam was the guy that was made of God. And he was formed out of the dust of the earth. He had never experienced sin. He didn't know what sin was. But through an act of his will, a choice that he made, he would not and could not live up to the standard that God had set before him. But Jesus, on the other hand, still being made by God through the Virgin Mary, lived up to every standard that God had set before of all humanity. He is the one that was tempted in every way. If you run into any temptation and you think, well, there's no way that Jesus could have been tempted this way, you're wrong. Jesus was tempted every way that you and I have been tempted. Now, the manner or the mode that it came would be different. Jesus didn't have an iPhone or an Android phone. If he had one, it would be an iPhone. I can't say that was born in the Spirit, but... But the temptations that come across your phone are no different than the temptations that came to Jesus. Don't kid yourself. The devil was there beyond that which was recorded on the three temptations. Certainly, Jesus was somewhere, and there was a young lady walking, and the devil tempted Jesus to lust after her. It doesn't matter the temptation. Jesus experienced it. And because he experienced it and chose not to yield to it, not to step into it, not to enact on it, he has every right to be judged. Because we all know people that they judge you and I. You know, they're not at church today. Don't you wish they were? Because we're already judging in our minds. I wish so-and-so was at church today. We don't do stuff like that, do we? Don't lie, because now I'm judging you for lying if you say you don't do that. Because we think we have a right to judge 
other people because they do things that we do not. They step into temptations that we don't step into. Or you find yourself where you have stepped into a temptation and then you try to judge. And whenever you're talking to the person about whatever it is that they've done and you're trying to tell them they're wrong, they look at you and say, what right do you have to tell me? When I first became a follower of Jesus and it's the very first Sunday, I, I leave I leave church and and I and I go back and I and I and I, li- I was living with my sister and her husband at the time and my sister opens the door and she just looks at me and says, "Oh, you are now holier than thou." And she was basically telling me, "Just because you're a Christian now, you do not have a right to judge me." People always make judgments about who has a right to judge. Now, we, we are, our justice system hasn't gotten so bad that people are arguing the right of a judge to make his judgment or her judgment. But here is what's happening. People choose they feel like they don't have to stand anymore. They can behave any way they want in a courtroom. Because there's a greater realization as evil is greater and greater expressed in our day that nobody has a right to judge. But Jesus, being perfect, has a right to judge. So he's received an enacted right, an authorized right, because of his sinless nature, because of his ability to walk without sinning, he has a right and has been authorized by his Father to judge. John 5, it says, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. When you understand that Jesus has every right to judge, that he's the only one that got it perfect, then you will begin to confess his ways as right and your ways as wrong. Not only does Jesus have a a right he also has a responsibility. I remember when I was, uh, I don't know, I don't know how old I was. I was a little rich, but I was really mad at my parents. You ever remember those days when you're really mad at your parents? And they're the source of everything bad in life. Because after all, the only reason you're there is because of them. How many have ever experienced that? Ever experienced that feeling? Hopefully, you were just young when you did that. If that was yesterday, we can talk after service. But we feel that in those moments that our parents, or whoever it is, has a responsibility based on their position and who they are. So Jesus actually does have a responsibility. I mean, after all, He created all of us. And if you've ever felt like it's not right or it's not fair that God allows evil to go on in this world, then I'm telling you, when you know the judge, you'll understand that he does have a responsibility to take care of everything 
that has ever gone wrong in this world. It starts with all the way back to Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4. Cain and Abel were the first two siblings, and they had both brought an offering to God, and God accepted one and had rejected the other. And Cain, he was, he was rather upset. And so he ends up doing what? He killed Abel. But there's a line in that chapter 4 that has always done something in me and thinking about what it must be like for the God of heaven. When God says to Cain, your brothers are Abel's blood cries out to me. The right to live for Abel was taken away. And his blood cries out. Now we're, we're, we're talking 6,000 years ago. And how many murders have taken place where their blood cries out? The United States of America in a little over a generation and a half, 50 million plus Babies aborted, their blood cries out. Now you might think, well, that's just heaven, not anything like that. But that's just a, an un, not understanding of Scripture. Because as you read even in Revelation, the, the martyrs who, because of their testimony, their life was taken from them by the evil of this world, are before the Almighty God in Revelation 6 and says, and they cry out to God, when will you make justice for what has happened to me? And so every life that has been lost, even through someone, I think of someone who was on staff with Clarissa and I years ago, that their dad was taken by a drunk driver. His blood cries out. He didn't deserve to have that car swerve across the road and hit him head on. But Jesus will answer every cry. But he also is going to right every wrong. The Lamb's Book of Life, now back to that Revelation 20, we, we read about the Lamb's Book of Life, that's for the redeemed. But there are books, and in those books is every wrong that has ever been done in every person's life. Now, I don't know. I don't know if that book is still being written for me. Here's what I do know, that the judge isn't going to look at that because he's going to first find my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. But if he does go through it, at the end of the book, it's not going to say the end, it's going to say, please refer to the Lamb's Book of Life. But the reason I, I bring this up is that I think it's easy for us who are the followers of Jesus to be very casual, to be very lackadaisical about the effects that we have through our actions in this world. And I don't want to give the enemy any more to work with in my life than I've already given him. And I assume you are the same as well. 
But every wrong will be recorded. Every self-serving decision, written down. Every act of greed, every lie, every lust, lustful thought. In a world where everyone is saying we have to have social justice, no, we're going to have justice. And for those of you that have experienced racist behavior from people around you, don't look for a government or a society to right that wrong. There is a king of kings and a lord of lords who will come and make all things right, and every act against you will be taken care of by Jesus Christ, because it's in the book. And so I don't have to, you don't have to harbor any kind of unforgiveness if a person refuses to come and find forgiveness through reconciliation, I'm here to tell you it's in a book. The reason that the, the, uh, the, the Christians understand that forgiveness is, is so critical for us is because when you choose to not forgive someone, regardless of how heinous the, the thing done against you, when you choose to hold that, you're choosing to write your own book and not trust the books that are written in heaven. But when you understand there are books in heaven, then you'll go, it's yours, Lord. You've written it down. You recorded every act. Every act that was done in a closet at night against you has been recorded in heaven. Now, we still pray. When you grow in the Lord, you find you release that. Then the Lord changes your attitude towards them, and you get to the place where you have pity on them. You begin to pray for their soul. You begin to ask the Lord to draw them so they don't have to send eternity in hell. Because you move from a place of wanting them to be in eternity in hell to praying and saying, Lord, bring them out of an eternity in hell. Because you understand and you know the judge. But the other thing that we don't think about is that God always has a responsibility to be glorified. And the God of heaven is glorified in judgment. In a world that says, well, that's just wrong and unloving, let me tell you something. God is absolutely glorified in judgment. How is he glorified in judgment? Well, what is, what is glorified? We glorify anything or anybody that we view as superior, which is why hero worship and, and of, you know, whether it's sports figure or or make-believe in comics that we go, well, that's, that's just way too cool. We, we tend to exalt those kinds of things. Why? Because we understand that there is a gap between where we are and where they are. And it doesn't matter if you think about an ant and the gap between an ant to a human. Much greater is the gap between a human and the Almighty God. And so in judgment, God is showing the gap. He is showing how much greater he is. In fact, again, you find in Revelation, they say things like, fear God and give him glory. The fear leads us to this recognition that there is a great difference. But I want to read Revelation 19, verses 1 through 3. It says, after this, what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, hallelujah. Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for his judgments are true and just. I want to stop there just for a minute. There are going to be things, I believe, in our life that we don't understand why God is not judging. 
But there is going to come a moment sometime in the future where we with uh, untold millions, billions of other people who will recognize that the way God did it was perfect. And we will glorify God and say that your judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, hallelujah, smoke from her goes up forever and ever. When you understand and know the judge and his responsibility to judge, you are comforted knowing that he will take care of it. But when it comes to the judge, there's his right, there's his responsibility, but there's also his, not yours and I, his reward. Jesus has a reward for everything that he's ever done. There's an inheritance in the saints. There's restored creation. And then there's, there's redemption being fully recognized or realized. But Paul talks about the inheritance in the saints in Ephesians chapter 1 as he's, he's praying. And he's, he's, he's just writing this prayer out over the people of Ephesus. And he says, what are the riches of this glorious inheritance in the saints? There's something in you. There's something in me that is an inheritance to Jesus Christ. What that is, is the spirit of the God Almighty. You actually find that he talks about that in verse 11. There's this, this that the moment that we say yes to him, the moment we change the direction of our life and start going in the direction of Jesus Christ, we are all given the Holy Spirit. Let me say that again. We are all given the Holy Spirit. For us, it's a deposit. It's, it's eternity has now come inside of us. And so now we know that, that we have so much more to look for. But in Jesus, he's going, now redemption has gone in each and every person. I don't understand Texans and their lackadaisical attitude about, about Christmas Eve services. I'm big in Christmas Eve services. And one of the reasons I'm big into Christmas Eve services is the candle. Because it's the darkest time of the year in the Northern Hemisphere, and we celebrate light coming into darkness. And whenever we do that, it doesn't matter how many times I've done it, I stop and I go, what must earth look like now to the God of heaven as he sees all these light around the globe with the Spirit of Christ burning within them. Now, what does that mean for you and I? Well, when you understand that every person that confesses the name of Jesus, the Spirit has come in them. There's something valuable to the judge in them. And if there's something valuable in the judge to them, to him, then it should be valuable to us. Now, here's the challenge. 
Your faith, my faith, they're all different size of cups. Some people, their faith, it's really small. And so they're the kind of person that still has anger issues and they're not patient with anybody and they're backbiting and they're saying hurtful things and they're even doing things that are hurtful. But Jesus is still in there. So you have to look a little bit harder for the inheritance that Jesus is waiting for. But as you grow and you mature in the Lord, your faith grows And so there's a greater recognition of the character of Christ in you and the greater amount of the the, uh, power of Christ now moving through you. Why? Because that deposit, it's growing. This inheritance that Jesus is looking forward to, now he gets to enjoy throughout all of eternity. And it's both corporate and individual. Corporate, by what I mean by that, we are the bride corporately of Christ. And individually, we have our own uniqueness. We have our own place of developed faith and growing in our obedience to the Lord and allowing him to, to guide us and direct us. There, there's, a, there's a corporate development that has even been going on post-COVID with Bethel where our faith is being expanded and ministry is not just stuck on a Sunday, but it's happening Monday through Saturday. Now, all of a sudden, Christ is being made known, not just in us. We're not just going from Sunday to Sunday looking for whatever fix we can get. Now we're coming and going, I want to be empowered to be able to show this Christ that is inside me to other people. Why? Because when they say yes, there's yet one more who gets to be inherited by the judge. But there's also a restored creation that is in all of this. For Jesus, he understands that now, now the work that he did gets to be redone. The creation, and as you look at creation, there are probably two two portions of Scripture that you really would look at, be Romans 8 and 1 Corinthians 15, but it really starts with us. Starts with uh, those that have said yes to him. As we come toward uh, Resurrection Sunday, well then, obviously that takes on a more, uh, more of a dynamic. But here's what happens. Because of what Jesus has done, God gets to go back to work. Just as God went to work with Adam, you and I are all going to end up in the ground if the rapture doesn't happen. And God's going to work again. And we are going to go from flesh and blood body to a spiritual body. We're going to go to a body that, from a body that is corruptible to a body that is incorruptible. We go from a body that is frail to a body that is strong. We go from a body that is, is made from the earth to a body that is made from heaven. And Jesus gets to sit back and go, That's made all possible by me. In fact, the prayer that he says in John chapter 17 is so beautiful. He says, Father, return me to the glory that I had before the foundation of the world. That glory of foundation before the foundation of the world wasn't marred by the sin, the hurt, the pain, the anguish, the the casting off of human life that is experienced now. But there is coming a day where he is going to do some recreating. And it has to do with our bodies. Now, the next part, the earth, that's got to wait a thousand years. Because we're going, to be, we're going to be resurrected in our glorified form. And we get to rule and reign with Jesus for a thousand years. 
well, who are we going to rule and reign? Well, we're going to rule and reign probably a good portion of Texans. And the reason that is, is that there are going to be people who are not believers before the rapture. And they've not taken the mark of the beast. And they live through the tribulation period. And they are still flesh and blood. But now because sin no longer has the reign. Because, because Satan and, and all of his uh, hordes of the enemy that tempts the world and the nations will be bound. They will live. The Bible says if they die at 100, it's going to be young. But if they sin, it's going to be instant. Boom. Because Jesus is going to rule with, a, with an iron rod. thousand years, we're going to experience that. But at the end of that thousand years, the earth is going to be fixed. You may not realize this, but every earthquake, every, every hurricane, every tornado, every, you know, snowmageddon that happened, you know, last year is a result of sin. Okay, for those of you that are really into science, I'm going to mess with you a little bit. Uh, carbon emissions did not cause this. Sin caused this. Sin caused it. In Genesis, in chapter 3, there are only two things that were cursed in that chapter. Satan and the ground. And the earth has been crying out. Every time there's, a, every time there's an earthquake, every time there's a hurricane, it is the earth that is saying, I want to be fixed. And at the end, Peter talks about it in his second letter. Uh, by the way, I believe in global warming. No, I do, before everybody in this room, because the Bible says he's going to come back and destroy this earth by fire. So there's going to be global warming. I don't know where we go during that time, somewhere. But what he does, and this is Jesus, he's, this, is, this is a reward for Jesus. There's going to be a new heaven and new earth. Now, when I say heaven, he's not, not talking about where God resides. I'm talking about the cosmos. That all that, there won't be any more black holes. It'll all be made new. I'm hoping we get to explore it. But then, it's at that time, it's, it's, at the, it's at the, right before the, the destruction of the earth that the dead are raised again and they're judged. But after there's this new earth, then redemption is fully realized. Now, I, I realize that what I'm going to say is going to maybe mess with one of your Christian songs that you've made a theology, and I'm sorry, you'll get over it. But when the Bible says that there'll be no more tears, it does not mean that you're going to go to heaven and not cry. When it says there's no more tears, is because there's going to be a moment at the end of time, when there's this new heaven and new earth, that redemption is fully realized, that the God of the universe will look at you and I, knowing that we will be experiencing this new redemption, but that which was lost, and he's going to wipe away that tear. He's going to say, uh-uh, I'm making it all new now. I'm making it all new. We don't stop to think about the people that will know who will have the books that are opened. And if you think you're going to have a hard heart like you have today, well, you don't understand what's going on. God's not going to be up there going, yeah, I'm glad you guys are going to spend eternity. People aren't going to be, people aren't going to be throwing themselves in hell. They're going to be thrown in there. And the amount of tears that will exist will be significant. But when redemption is fully realized because of what Jesus Christ has done, all those tears are wiped away. 
and there will be no more sorrow. There will be no more pain. There will be no more anguish. There will be no more loss. There will no be no more disconnecting because now redemption is fully realized. The old order is gone and the new order has come. When you know the judge and you're aligned with him, you're not sitting out here looking at him up here. You're up there with him because the Bible says he seated us with him in the heavenly places. So now we are looking at the same thing that the judge is looking at. And as you grow in your love for him, you're just going to turn to the judge and go, I want to add to your reward. I want to add more and more to your inheritance, to the things that you get to enjoy throughout all of eternity. Why? Because we, we are his wow. We are his wow. And forever and ever, in, in, in uh, the part of Paul's prayer, maybe it's in chapter 2, he says throughout the ages, ten, I always say it this way, 10,000 years times 10,000 years, Jesus is going to look back at Rich Van Proy and he's going to look at each and every one of you and I don't even know he's going to say it to you. He's just going to go, wow, 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 wow. And I want to tell you something. When you know the judge, you're going to come to realize that he has providentially placed people in your life that he wants you to partner with him so that throughout the ages he can, with you, go, wow, wow, what a work you did. Wow. It's all about knowing him. It's all about being aligned with him. And that is my prayer for you today, that everyone in this room or anyone that hears this, this sermon will align themselves with the judge. That they won't see themselves sitting out in court. They know absolutely that Jesus Christ has the right responsibility to make everything right. So I'm just going to go up and sit up there with him. And I'm going to increase the things that he wants increased. And so, Father, thank you. Thank you that you are inviting us into this kind of life. That, Lord, you've invited us into a life where throughout the ages, you get to say, wow. Oh, God. Will you help us, Lord? Will you help us to have hearts that are sensitive? So that, Lord, we can recognize those that before the foundation of the world, you have predestined to be written into the Lamb's Book of Life. In fact, I want to encourage you. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. But everybody else, just keep your eyes closed and take your hand. Just put it over your heart. I know that, you know, Pentecostals don't like to talk about predestination. But when you, when you serve a God that knows all time, all the time, at one time, you don't have a problem with predestination. He knows exactly who will say yes. I'm going to pray that the Lord will open our hearts and minds to those that he's placed around us, that he has destined for everlasting glory in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to recognize 
And that, Lord, we will go in and we will plant and we will till and we will pull weeds and we will do whatever it takes so that the harvest of those might come in in the name of Jesus. And, Lord, I don't want to do it so I add some glorification to my spiritual belt. No, Lord, I want to do it because it's your reward. I want to do it for you. Lord, I know I've heard over the years that people want to get to heaven and put their crown down before before you. And, well, God, I'm not going to argue that that won't happen. Lord, I believe you've given us a better opportunity right now. That, Lord, we can partner into those that you have destined to be uh, forever glorified in Christ Jesus. You've partnered with us to allow us to add to your inheritance. And so, Father, help us by your spirit to, to move in and to live and to act as if that's an actual reality. And so, Lord, we just give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Hey, thank you again for joining us. We hope that our time together has been a blessing to you. And it doesn't have to end there. If you want to find last week's sermon, you can go to Facebook, YouTube, or you can listen to us on the audio podcast. You can let us know if you'd like to be further connected in a life group. But let me go ahead and pray as we close and say, God, thank you for being with us, Lord God. Thank you for helping us to carry your words, Lord God, and change our lives, Lord. Help us to carry your love to those around us. And we thank you for what you are doing. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, and thank you for being a part. We hope to see you soon.